don't let the fear capture your heart, because when you do, it's the start of what tears us apart. I'm feeling lost like I've been carried away, and the home that I know is on fire. I walk these streets, and all the signs look the same, but there's a darkness creeping over this town. I can't put my finger on it, but it's here and it's pressing on me. Something is wearing us all down. I can't put my finger on it, but it's here and it's pressing on me. Fear like an invisible cloud. The sun, it rises, then it's over the sea. Then the darkness sets in for the night. I know how it feels like it's been eternity. And I agree, it's been the darkest of nights. I can't put my finger on it, but I think I caught a glimpse of something. A faint trace of distant light. I can't put my finger on it, but I think I caught a glimpse of something taking hold of the night sky. Hold on to the light. It ain't here yet. But the morning is nigh. I'm super excited about today's guest. She's a singer-songwriter based in Nashville. Her discography is long, but that's not why it's impressive. It's impressive because it's consistent. And yet she's released another great album called Light in the Canyon. She's collaborated with many great folks, Audrey Assad, Bifrost Arts are a couple. She's got a podcast called Steadfast. Sandra McCracken, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you, Joe. Yeah. You know, when I first started thinking about this podcast and having guests on to talk about the specific songs, your face kept popping into my mind when I got to this song. And partly for me, that's because uh, this song for me comes from uh, a facet of my self that maybe doesn't always make it into my songwriting. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit more kind of uh, explicitly hopeful, which <laughs> I feel like anytime I try and do that, it just ends up cheesy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was important for this song to talk to someone who I know is a hopeful person, is someone who's looking for good in the world and light in the world, and someone who's done that in hard fought ways. And having said all of that, I'll also say like, I don't know you. Mm. <laughs> and so these are my impressions of you. And with that, I was talking with uh, was talking with Mike Cosper about the idea of doing this this podcast, mm. and he he dropped your name in that conversation as well. And so I kind of thought, all right, mm. yeah, maybe I should reach out to to Sandra. 
I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Yeah, Mike speaks very highly of you as well. And it's been, I really enjoyed diving into these songs and hearing some of what you've been making out of, you know, light out of darkness. So yeah, it's funny, even if we haven't met one another to just jump into reading a poem, you realize how the human experience is a shared experience. So when, when mm-hmm. you know, there's so much of that, that's like a, a common language and we've all been through variations of that, you know? So I'm grateful for your courage for entering into this and taking this project on. Well, thank you. And again, thanks for, thanks for being here. I think it's, it's, it's awesome that there was enough here that you looked at it and said, yeah, I want to do that. (laughs) Man, thanks. All right. So Light in the Canyon. A, I love the name of this, of this record for like one very personal reason. I grew up in Northern California near Lake Tahoe at the base of Woodford's Canyon in the high Sierras in Alpine County. Mm. And the wind howls out of that canyon. My parents still live down there today. And, you know, growing up there, the relationship of light and canyons is Mm -hmm. something that's just, you know, that is a, that those images are so stark in my mind. I'm curious kind of how you landed there and what what drew you to that tell me about tell me about light in the canyon i think the title was probably already in the air a little bit before the album was named and a few years before i was working on writing a book that's called uh, send out your light and that book really opens with actually it opens and closes with these moments where i was watching the light change And John O'Donohue, the Irish poet, talks so much about how we're drawn to movement. Humans are drawn to movement. And he does such a beautiful job of like describing that we're drawn to beauty and to movement. And one of the things that moves is light, you know? And so the book opens and closes with a scene where the light is changing. And then, you know, the book tells a lot of my story. And inevitably, when we tell our stories, we see these variations. Things don't really look the same all the time. They're constantly changing and constantly in motion. And so uh, the album itself was recorded in a canyon in Texas in the hill country mm. uh, at, at a retreat center called Laity Lodge. And it was right after, like it was just coming out of the pandemic. So it was like the, you know, the first time to really gather with this group of musicians, a lot of which had been still off the road and not not really playing in in a live setting for at least a year, you know? So it was kind of capturing a moment that did have to do with like a fleeting change in light. And it was also in a Canyon and just, it just seemed like all those different tie-ins that uh, for a while I thought, man, that the title is a little bit pedestrian. Like maybe that's just not interesting enough, but it just seemed right. And so I kept circling it and staying with it. And I really, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Looking back, sometimes we overthink it when we're trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. do the artist thing, you know, and you're just like, well, that that's kind of what it was. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely prone to overthinking. (laughs) I mean, so yeah, your, your book was called send out your light. There's the song, send out your light. Like you, you, it seems like you've been kind of hanging out on this concept for a little while. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, light and dark is a well-trafficked idea within the realm of of Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, though, what has drawn you to it as as like a focus? Maybe focus is going too far, but mm-hmm. certainly there's a theme that you're hitting on, and it's gone beyond more than just like a song or two. 
Yeah, that I guess prior to the album or the book, there the psalm that um, inspired that song that I wrote on the Psalms album. The song was called "Send Out Your Light," and that was inspired by Psalm forty-two. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's you know thousands of years old, and so that has already been in the air and in our, <laughs> you know, in this shared human experience as a psalm, as a as a recording of God meeting and directing us in a way and very personally and then also together as people Hmm. so that comes right in the middle of the psalm and so this it's not a long psalm but the first half is complaint and the second half is essentially like refocusing on on the purpose of god like the just the worship of god and right in the middle is this pivot where it's like send out your light and your truth and let them lead me so it kind of is this turn from complaint to I don't know if you'd say obedience or joy, like, but it, it's definitely a turning point. And so that I think is kind of where, where I, I've been living, maybe where we'll always be living in one way or another, but being drawn from uh, looking at something one way to looking at something another way, um, coming into new information, which is also in the Christian tradition called confession, right? <laughs> it's like, huh, yeah. it's like, oh, I, it is not what I thought. <laughs> I'm really yeah. needing to be, you know, brought into this new information, which in this case is good news. No doubt. You know, it's. I was reading Dostoevsky. Lately, oh wow! Crime just and punishment. Summer reading. You know, um, beach reading. Just, yeah. I, you know, there's a there's like a New Yorker comic about that. By the way, oh, is there uh, really? I saw a couple months ago. Like, yeah, some some like literature cop on the beach that comes up to someone, finds someone who's reading Dostoevsky and it's like, <laughs> sorry, that's not approved summer reading. <laughs> that's so good. It's too heavy. You'll have to send that find over if you else. find it because that's <laughs> so good. But I don't know, for people who haven't read it, I don't want to give a spoiler away, but uh, there was a moment in that book where the character confesses to something and I was really struck by the way that Dostoevsky writes about the transformation that occurs with him, particularly mm. in this book. And um, so as you said that, it's a <laughs> an exchange of, inf- there's new information, it's transformative, mm. there's something happening there. I know like within Christianity, and, and we see this in so many like worship songs, so many of our songs are about salvation and redemption, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. They can get sometimes a little maybe sappy mm. or a little sentimental more so than... yeah songs that come from kind of hard fought places or I guess kind of the continual coming back to the new information. Mm -hmm. How do you, as someone who's, who's been in the public eye for a while, you know, your career has been going for gosh, I think what, 20, 20, 22 years, I think I I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) How do you keep going? How do you, how do you build the practice of going back there? And this may seem like a real like basic question, but I think it's different for each person. And, and they're, you know, the, the hook of what brings you coming back to searching for light and finding hope. I mean, you're wearing a hope mm. t-shirt today. <laughs> this is from uh, my friends, Hope Heals, uh, Jay and Catherine Wolf. And man, I, you know, seeing people like that, that have modeled and live out, you know, she she survived a stroke and has had major change mm. in her life and yeah they just walk boldly in that kind of in that kind of life and, and that actually brings up an interesting parallel is when you see Jesus in the gospel this 
this idea of seeing more or seeing differently or seeing kind of going from blindness or darkness into light. Like when Jesus does that kind of healing, a lot of times it's really physical. And remember the time when he like put mud on his hands and like, you know, it's just like extremely physical for him to heal blindness. And I think the same with my Mm. friends that I've watched actually have to press toward hope. like to watch Catherine press toward hope in a wheelchair. Right. And to say like, Mm this is going to change everything about how I eat and how I sleep and how I swallow and like all the things that it changes. And yet Mm. like being defined by hope and not by the wheelchair. Right. And then we all do this in various ways and seeing, I, I mean, to be honest, like we, I would really rather not have to go through the physical messiness and to continue to be confronted by disillusionment, you know? Right. But even more than not wanting that, I'd like to see clearly, you know? And someone mm. recently was talking about uh, this, ser- gave a sermon on um, David, the description of David and Goliath, like David had clear eyes. And I just think that image of like having clear eyes to see. And I heard that a lot in your songs when I was listening to the record. Mm. I also have a song called Fool's Gold, which kind of differentiates between like the disillusionment of what you think is something and then it's not that thing. And so you're, so there's, there's a bitterness to that, but there's also, there's Mm. something glorious on the other side because actual gold implies that there's glory. So I guess, I don't know how to answer your question other than to say, I keep being invited back into the messy physicality of healing and, you know, an ongoing invitation to come and to see Mm. in a different way than my natural inclination to see. And if I were left to myself, I would just be a blind beggar, right? I mean, literally, there would just wouldn't be a way I could see something different than my natural instinct. And yet I do feel like it's a beautiful thing to be able to start to see things clearly and to be able to uh, be activate that kind of hope that we've been uh, given a vision for in, in the gospel and in Jesus' healing. question I had written here was, do you ever think, how am I still here? Mm-hmm. The, the reason I kind of threw that in there was, you know, at least for my own, for my own story and, and my own struggle with faith, there have been times when everything in me thought I was in the right place. And then the light kind of turns on mm-hmm. and you realize, oh no, I'm not in the right place. But that, that metaphor with the light turning on is kind of like there's an instant switch those realizations can often take a long time and there's a lot of struggle in, in the, in the meantime, Mm -hmm. right? Like the the pain of feeling like what is going on in this world? Why are things so dark? Why are things not going the way that I would want and the frustration? And then I know, I mean, I know for me, like getting to a place where it was hard to see where God, what God was doing. Mm-hmm. And this album, you know, this album kind of charts that journey yeah. in some ways, because some of these songs come from different places there. The challenge of living in dark times in a very dark place and yet holding on to light is really what this song kind of brings brings me back to. And it was kind of 
honestly, when this song came out, it kind of surprised me mm-hmm. because I, at that point, I'd kind of think I, I think I'd kind of thought that the, uh, I didn't know where the, where the hope was. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all of this I, I was saying because I, I resonate with what you said about I, I keep being called back into it, mm-hmm. or I keep being invited back into it, and it's almost mm-hmm. in in spite of of my best or worst understanding or efforts yeah. to go in a different direction. You know, I keep finding myself kind of pulled back in. Mm. And so I try to find like where the, where the substance is with this stuff, because so much of our, so much of our language in Christianity is, is kind of hallmark mm. or like you said, well-trafficked. It's like, we've talked about this so much. Yeah. yeah. Yet there's real, there's real struggle. Yeah. <laughs> and especially today with, oh man, I mean, there's so many parts of the, of the church that are just, you know, not revealing the best of who God is. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice way to say it, I think. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is <laughs> life is hard. How do you, and I, I guess I've already kind of asked this question, but how do you remain such a hopeful person? Mm. But, or let me get practical with it. Are there practices, you mentioned Jesus curing blindness as a physical embodied act. Mm-hmm. Do you have practices that kind of keep you close to the light or keep you close, that keep you coming back to hope that have carried you maybe even through times where you might not have had it? Yes, for sure. I think, I think there's a, there's like an ebb and a flow to it, you know, like a spiritual practice or your awareness of what's going on in your spiritual life is going to be influenced by so many other factors, you know, from, from what you had for dinner yesterday (laughs) to like, you know what I'm saying? There are so many factors that are going to be like, oh, I don't know. I don't really feel this or I do feel this, but I do think the way that the the way that I have activated that hope is by intentionally listening in prayer, like listening to, listening for new things. And I think as much as we can, like you were just saying how we so many times are sentimental and we say the same things and we sing the same songs and we're just like exhausting ourselves. But actually when God speaks, it doesn't, he doesn't do that at all. Hmm. So if you give space for that and you invite him to speak to you and actually let him speak to you, and and I'm not a Pentecostal. I don't have a lot of that in my background. I kind of wish I did. I've got the Presbyterian background, so we you know wrote everything down and had it all mapped out. I appreciate mm-hmm. both traditions, <laughs> but I think there's this part where um, I'm probably still here because— um, because I believe the Lord still speaks in new ways and that he's doing something new. And if he weren't, mm. then that, then I don't think there would be like, I, I just, I'm so convinced of that at this point because it just continues no matter how dark things get, no matter how many lies are kind of squeezing around the truth. You just, I, I also hear at the same time, like God is like pushing right through the middle of that. You know, and now we've just moved from the metaphor of seeing to the metaphor of hearing. And I and I kind of think uh, I've been thinking a lot about the Ephesians six passage. There are a couple spots in Ephesians, one in the beginning of Ephesians where he talks about the in this letter 
Paul is basically saying there's like this whole unseen thing that's going on. Right. And so mm-hmm. we sort of have to acknowledge it and trust that there's stuff that we don't know what's going on and we can't see it. And we won't be able to see it yet. But in, in the sixth chapter of that letter, he's talking about be strong in the Lord and in the strength, like in God's strength, and then to put on this whole armor. And one of the things of the armor was, is like in defense of the flaming arrows that are coming in, like all the things that are just like keeping you from it, you know? So I don't Mm -hmm. mean to sermonize, but this, it has literally been kind of keeping me afloat. I hate to mix metaphors again, but this has been something that's carrying me is to literally put on these practices of saying, oh, wow, that is really depressing news. Or that is a really Hmm. scary thing that I just can't, that I just heard about regarding my kids. Just acknowledging it. And then the language of being able to say the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit are actually responses. And I think God speaks to us in metaphor because Hmm. we need to understand the physicality. We need like mud on our eyes. So when I think about those physical images, even though I'm not like a battle person and I don't know anything about that, that makes sense to me in the moment. And it turns like a crisis moment into a moment of empowerment to know that like God is actively doing something here beyond these like superficial circumstances. And so it kind of puts it back on him to give the substance to those words we've heard a hundred times, you know, and, and he does it. And I think that's where the life of the spirit and the word comes like giving ourselves to those things as practices is a way by which we can like be uh, empowered and strengthened for whatever, whatever darkness we're facing, you know, it just seems like the darkness keeps changing, but it's like, it's not really getting better. Right. It's just that you start to see that God is at work in it, it more clearly. Right. It's, but it doesn't mean it's less dark than it was for me, you know, 10 years ago. It just means I'm just more awake, you know? Yeah. This is the thing I struggle with. And I totally resonate with what you just said. That was, that was, that was great, by the way. Thank you. The, you know, the dark keeps changing and I have this hope. <laughs> I have this hope that things bend back towards restoration. Mm. You know, I, I, I really appreciated that. N.T. Wright has written a lot about that. God bending things or making mm. things, turning things back to rights. And this idea of, you know, kind of progressive redemption where, you know, time and events are, are bending towards mm. restoration. But man, it sure doesn't seem like that. You know, I mean, mm. we just weigh the events of, like in the last week, you know, yet more, more shootings. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know if you listen to the song Fear and Love on the record. Mm-hmm. There's a lyric there that says, chosen this inaction, keeping our hearts in the ice bin. keep looking out at the state of just the darkness and wondering like what is it what is it going to take like how do we how do we turn this around mm-hmm. and especially when some of you know some of the people that have been hi- historically seen as kind of symbols of light turning out to be agents of darkness that's a yeah that's a whole other big thing you know 
it can be demoralizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at least for me, I, I carry this stuff. It gets heavy for me. And, you know, then I go write a song like Fear and Love and try and kind of pour it all out. <laughs> but in the face of continual changing darkness, and I guess you've, <laughs> I guess you've answered this, but like, how, how, do, we, how do we deal with that? And, mm-hmm. and what I'm hearing is this, we just go back to the source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the whole idea of bending toward, bending toward the good. I've heard it before and then I hear it again now and I think about it again and I kind of turn it over and, and think about ways that, like you're saying, six, systemic racism isn't going to heal itself. Right. And if you pretend that it's not there, it's not going to go away. So things have to be named and then structures have to be changed and boundaries need to be set and justice needs to be upheld. So the image that comes to mind around like that for one as one piece of as one protest against NT right in this way. I would say the one place that I see real hope is the image in Revelation, the image in scripture, many times in scripture, but the image of the river as like God's justice. So even the river in November, in um, Revelation 21, where there's this like picture of the new heavens and the new earth and this river is carving through the middle. And I think a lot of, mm. especially if I'm really angry, I think about the river, like kind of righteous anger. Mm. And I think about even the Old Testament images of the, of the river when God um, swept up the enemies and his people walked across dry land. Like the way that God uses like this powerful natural force to purify the order of things according to his righteousness. Hmm. And I think we don't understand that and we don't have, we can't harness that. Sometimes when I'm really angry or when I see those things, I can pray about the river, you know? I think that, again, metaphor helps me because I can't understand some of these things conceptually more so than than that, you know? And so I think we can lament and then we can engage. And a lot of times as we move toward those practices of like, of, uh, it's not just about like having a devotional life so we can cope with the darkness. It's also out of that prayer life, make a list of five things you're going to do today based on your prayer hmm. that are going to change wherever, whatever orbit God has put you in. He has put us in the world and in these places to, to establish his kingdom, to participate in that, you know? And so it's not oh. just monastic, like, removal from the problems. It's also the armor means you're going to go out and engage, you know, and you're going to get hit with arrows. And I guess that's the part that I just have resisted so much. I just want to sit and write songs about it. (laughs) And I think in so many ways, God is like calling me to actually move toward practical things. And And I need community. I need other people that do have those very like active kind of action parts of them that Mm -hmm. are much more practiced than mine, you know, so I can do the introspective stuff, but I need to lean on people that know how to serve and how to act and how to, you know, call lawmakers or, you know, in in this case, like, is this example, it doesn't bend by itself, but God has like brought us as part of his agents, like vice regents with him, you know, to like be part of this thing. Yeah. Oh, you know, and that brings me one more thing that, speaking of our friend Mike Cosper, who has this great book about Esther, but my favorite line in that is the way she's at this moment where she can participate. And basically, you know, she has this opportunity to say, God is going to give relief and deliverance to at this moment. And you can either be part of it or he's going to do it some other way. And I just think 
that's kind of what it looks like. It's like this invitation to rise up, mm. you know, and do something. Yeah, it's just so easy to get bogged down with stuff, you know, like uh, you mentioned systemic injustice and there's so many, there's so many things wrong in our, in our country, in our culture, in our world. And you're right. I mean, it's easy. I think songwriting, I mean, not that your songwriting isn't like impactful, but I get what you're saying about you want to be involved in a community Mm -hmm. where there are people who are doing things with their hands and feet. Mm -hmm. And their presence. I think that, you know, I resonate with that a lot. I have a buddy who um, I was ranting about this one day and he's like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, eh, um, right now I'm just ranting. <laughs> yeah. And Twitter, Twitter also doesn't count uh, <laughs> as, as action. <laughs> That's right. And so, yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, uh, there's, there's a piece of that in this song too. And a reminder yeah. at the end. That's why, I don't know if you caught like at the end, there's a little, there's a kids choir singing. Yeah. So that is that um, some of your kids in there too? Yeah. Those are, those are my daughters and a few of their friends. Hold on to the light. It ain't here yet, but the morning is And that was, uh, <laughs> that was a hilarious situation because, you know, the kids, they were, Definitely a bit freaked out by being in the studio. That's not kind of like their normal thing, especially their friends. And they were, you know, they were tweens and they were very, very shy and timid when we started. So mm-hmm. we had to do some screaming exercises oh, to get them yeah. out of themselves. And it worked. <laughs> and uh, I love I love how it's there. But, you know, that's for me, like this song kind of existed as a reminder. I wanted to tell myself, hold on to the light because Mm-hmm. it's coming mm-hmm. and I wanted my my kids to do that yeah. as well like I, I want it to be a reminder for my kids I think we kind of set up I don't know like this this song in a way is like a it's meant to be kind of a symbol that they can come back to yeah hopefully encouraging them in that direction I think that that's a fun thing that songwriting can offer mm-hmm. in the middle of, of these dark days yeah and I I think the song really feels authentic because you're talking about kind of glimpsing something and it's kind of, kind of these dreamy pictures of what will be or what, you know, I think kind of speaks right into the moment of fear and not, I think that's what keeps it from being sentimental because it's not rushing past the moment that you mm. have to reckon with your fear. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to your point, like this song, you know, the hope and the light are just faint traces towards the end. Yeah. It's kind of, you're walking, it starts, you're walking through kind of wreckage and trying to affirm that, yeah, this has been a dark time. Mm -hmm. And to not even say like, yeah, the hope is here. It's more like that dark sky is looking lighter over there. And that was me working out my frustrations with, you know, life in evangelicalism with Donald Trump as president and trying to imagine like what what does what does 
faith in Christianity look like after this? Mm-hmm. Like what? Because it's it's coming. That is there. This current moment's going to come and go. But there is there's something that is much more, I don't know, like the, the, the hope of, of Christ is something that is outlasted, you know, every empire, right? But yeah. it's outlasting our moment. I feel like I just got so bogged down in the moment. I needed, mm-hmm. you know, just to be remembered that even if it's a trace, if it's something small, it's still there. It's coming. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It makes me think of this John Muir quote, which I, I've, it's really about nature. But when the way you describe that and talking about a moment or like, here's who's president, here's what's going on, what's going to happen after. John Muir says, when one tugs at a single thing in nature, he finds it attached to the rest of the world. So when you, mm. you know, you pull one thing and then it's something like that. It's like everything is, is integrated. And then I think about the way that scripture talks about actually defines Christ that way, like being the center and in him, all things hold together in Colossians. Mm. And so in a sense, like the world feels like total entropy, like it's all completely like, here's what happens when this policy is reinstated and this happens and then this all, you know, disintegrates. And that's true. And the reason it's going to bend toward, and I'm, I'm going to come back full circle to this because I do want to say I don't want to disagree with N.T. Wright on your podcast, <laughs> but I do want to come back to say, like, I do think it bends toward the good, but not on its own and not without Christ doing that and literally right. being the one to hold and bend all of these broken threads, all of these distortions of the design back into order. And I think one day we'll we'll be able to zoom out and see that. And that's going to be... Um, I mean, talk about writing some songs about it. There's, there'll be so much poetry in what we're seeing that was uh, that we can't now see because we're kind of seeing behind the fabric. Mm. You know, we're not seeing the front of it yet. Yeah. But I, I think that I think that that interconnectedness also at one point it feels really depressing, and then at the other point it also feels like really hopeful because maybe something's going on here that I just <laughs> I can't tell yet, and it's going to be good. Yeah, man, I love that you uh, quoted John Muir as well. Because growing up in the High Sierra, oh, I bet, yeah, you know, like everything is John Muir. Oh my gosh, I where I'm from. Yeah, are you guys? Do your does um, nature, or I mean, just growing up with that? And you mentioned the canyon. Has that been a part of your work and your songwriting mm. as well? Yeah, great question. I gravitate towards music that suggests landscapes like I I just love that kind of cinematic kind of moodiness that you see and I think yeah I think even my next project is going to try and really really go deep into the weeds Hmm. with that's awesome yeah yeah excited (laughs) but even as you know other creative pursuits that I get into like photography you know I spent a couple years just kind of learning photography and trying to go deeper with it. And, you know, growing up in the High Sierra, you know, Ansel Adams, uh, his stuff was always there. Uh, You'd see his posters or, you know, his photos everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go to Yosemite, you know, you'd see it firsthand. And just thinking like those images are so indelible to me. Growing up in the high desert, yeah, all of that stuff, it resonates deeply. And I I do think, I don't know, I try to, I try for that stuff to make it into my music. And I would say the music that I'm most proud of definitely has a very 
kind of cinematic landscapey mm. type vibe to it. Yeah. It, it just comes out of me. I think driving, <laughs> driving, our family was a ski family. My parents were ski coaches. Love it. So we'd travel around, yeah. uh, you know, Northern California, long drives in the winter through the high Sierra. And I just listened to music. Love that. And I think honestly, that's, you know, those were very, that set me on a course for sure. said that this song and some of these songs have were sort of a breakthrough after a season of writer's block. I know a lot of creatives talk about that. Hmm. I think there's some real comfort in the experience you're describing of being out in nature and seeing storms move in and out and, and, or seeing like this deluge. And then all of a sudden, like you go a long stretch and there's just nothing. And I think, (laughs) I think when we, when we're putting the creative practices right next to creation and, and nature, it just becomes a little less scary when you go a long stretch without songs, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah. I find when I travel in general, like music, my, my being becomes more aware of music. Mm. And so I've also learned that it's a great time to listen to a new album for the first time, oh, because cool. if it's a good album, it will always have that association in my mind. Yeah. Gosh, I can go back to, you know, 1990, what was it? 1996. I was in, I was on a train in the Czech Republic listening to Radiohead's The Bends. Yeah. And I still, every spring, I go back there in my mind and I listen to that record. Yeah. Or listening to um, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's record uh, with Gold Lion on the airplane on my way to, Boston with my mm-hmm. wife for our third anniversary. Aww. Like that, that album will always bring me back to that. And so, yeah, I think those moments, like being in that train car in a foreign place yeah. and just kind of taking it all in and the music being there. There have also been other times, you know, I hauled my guitar down the rocks on the shores of the Puget Sound once to actually fighting, fighting some writer's block just to see what would come out. And then I wrote a song, I wrote a song called Psalm 25 that we sung at church for many, many years after that. Mm. So yeah, I think that connection between the music and nature Mm. is, that's a real thing. You mentioned the Psalm 25 and I know just with your both worship leading and then other songs like these that are more narrative, has that been an intentional I mean, I'm asking because I I think a lot of people would be interested. Did you intentionally say, okay, I'm going to write some songs and put them in this bucket or in this other bucket? and Or does it Mm. just happen? And then you figure out where they go. Yeah. I would like it to be what you just said. Like, (laughs) it just happens and then I sort it out later. And I've counseled myself and others with that for probably as long as I can, as long as anyone's been asking me about songwriting. Yeah. But the reality is the writer's block it was about 10 years. It was, and those were the 10 years that I was most involved at Mars Hill Church. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you know, that time period was just mm-hmm. my songwriting wilted. I have a lot of ideas on on why that happened. But I think like 
just a very kind of closed system is not one that really is going to reward creativity, you know, and one that was had such kind of a toxic, <laughs> a toxic culture under the hood. Um, I'm very sensitive to that. And so anyways, mm-hmm. so coming out of the, the, the writer's block required a few things. My buddy Pete invited me to a songwriter night and just said, Hey, you got to come with five new songs. And it's in like three weeks. Ah, that's cool. <laughs> um, or six weeks, or I don't remember how so far, it but it was, it was short enough to where I, I was like, Oh no. <laughs> and, you know, I was able to do that. And that was like, okay, maybe I can still, maybe I still can do this. Yeah. And by that point in time, I mean, man, to, to answer this question is so auto autobiographical. Like, there's so many circumstances tied to it. By that point in time, Mars Hill was, was, you know, falling apart. It was pretty much done. I was pretty cooked. I was really burnt out. My own kind of faith, you know, crisis was just kind of ramping up. And while I was still, I still found my role as a, as someone leading worship on Sundays to be something that I wanted to offer people. I wanted to be able to keep going, even though I didn't really know like where I was going or what was happening with me. Mostly just to say, hey, look, like things don't always look ideal and, and perfect. And I wouldn't, I never really like said this to anybody. It was just like, you know, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm going to I'm still here though. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm still going to do this. But by the time I started writing songs again, my mind was kind of in that I need to process all of this stuff. Yeah. And what wasn't coming out was songs that were designed for for a congregation to sing. It just yeah. that that wasn't coming out. I, I, I didn't have the desire to be writing corporate worship songs. I hate the word corporate worship. <laughs> Congregational songs. And I, I felt like I really wanted to address so much of what I was seeing in the church and kind of call call that out and try and kind of reframe back into, Hey, you know, like all this, uh, obsession with, with power and control and Mm. all the things that the church is kind of like bound up in that were, I mean, what happened to Mars Hill was just kind of a smaller version of what was happening in, in the country, you know, in 2018. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I definitely just, from that place was not going to be writing a congregational song. Yeah. And just really felt like I needed to process through that stuff. So so it's kind of seasonal based on things that are going on. I think so. Yeah. It sounds like uh, having grace for yourself to let it be what it is has probably been something that has, like, you, you know, when you can be kind to yourself and say, like, hey, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that other thing right now, whatever that is. Yeah. And it might flip back and forth. But I mean, just I think that kind of candidness, candor with yourself is kind of helpful in the artistic process. Yeah. You know, I think, <laughs> I mean, at the time I was telling, when people would ask, hey, do you want to come lead worship? I'd be like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm retired. Yeah. I literally said that a number of times. Um, and, you know, because, yeah, I just haven't been this. This happened a little bit later. Like, yes, it was true that while I was kind of falling apart, I still wanted to be present. I wanted to. It was important to me to show that, you know, you don't just kind of run for the hills when things fall apart. Yeah. But then over time is like, well, I'm. 
I'm needing a break from this. And that's when, yeah, yeah. that's when I, I, I just stopped with the, the leading worship and, and yeah, writing, writing corp or writing. There I go again. Uh, writing congregational songs. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Prayer of St. Francis is actually intended to be kind of a congregational song, but you know, it, it, there's a nice Venn diagram with where it fits on the album yeah and and how it could how it could be used in that way mm. well Sandra this has been uh, a wonderful conversation I really just appreciate time getting to know you a little bit and talk through this stuff me too Joe thanks yeah thank you so much and um, listeners go give her new album Light in the Canyon a listen thank you so much for doing the work you're doing Joe Grateful to get to connect with you today. Thank you so much, Sandra. Don't let the fear capture your heart Cause when you do, it's the start of what tears us apart Your heart, cause when you do, it's the start 
Thanks for listening. The Half-Light Podcast is about my album, Half-Light. And if you don't yet have a copy and if vinyl is your thing, head over to my Bandcamp page at joday.bandcamp.com and use the code PODCAST, all lowercase, one word, to get 20% off your copy of Half-Light. It's printed on 140 gram black vinyl, and it sounds fantastic if I do say so myself. If you want to stay up to date with what I'm doing, Email is the best way. Head over to joedaymusic.com and sign up for my email list. I'm already working on the next thing, so there's going to be plenty to talk about in 2023. If you're interested in booking me, whether with my full band or just me in a living room or backyard, email booking at joedaymusic.com. On Instagram and Twitter, I am at joeday. You can find me there. And the Half-Light podcast is produced, edited, and scored by the one and only Jason Wagner. Jason does lots of other fun and interesting things with sound, and you can check out all of those at his website, oralfixation.me, A-U-R-A-L-F-I-X-A-T-I-O-N.me. That's it for now. Talk to you later.